You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have uh, Abdul Hamid Halabi. He's the head of healthcare at NVIDIA, N-V-I-D-I-A. So I I think a lot of people have heard of NVIDIA. Uh, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, they were even into healthcare very much, but um, we're going to talk about uh, the next-gen imaging technology called Clara. So Abdul, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? Hey, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be with you on this call. Oh, good. So tell me about uh, the Clara technology. What's the, the overall premise of it? And then we'll get into some details of it. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, Clara is our healthcare platform at NVIDIA. A lot of people know NVIDIA from uh, our gaming days. Uh, so for those who play games, please keep playing games more and more because these are really important technologies that are being created and being useful for AI. Um, so a little bit of our history and how Clara came about. Um, you know, back in 1999, roughly, NVIDIA decided to invest in programmable shaders, which allowed the GPUs to become programmable for you to create these amazing games, um, or maybe to uh, create a movie or simulate um, a car before you're actually making it so you can be more efficient. That same technology, turns out, was really useful for also high-performance computing and for scientific computing. So in areas of healthcare-like um, uh, instruments, um, medical instruments tend to take signal data like x-ray and turn it into an image. That is actually a scientific computing problem which has benefited from GPUs for a very long time. Um, of course, in 2012, we became um, the platform for deep learning and AI. And over the last 18 months or so, we invested in other AI technologies like um, support vector machines and XGBoost with our platform called Rapid. And across these sort of Four um, uh, components uh, from you know visualization that we introduced in 1999 to scientific computing to deep learning and machine learning that created our platform that went across many many industries uh, for AI and we decided okay. to go vertical in two of these industries so one of them was transportation with our effort in self-driving cars and the other one was healthcare uh, with and the platform that that, that went vertical in healthcare for developers is Clara. So a little bit about Clara, um, I think what, what may help before we get in there is to understand where NVIDIA has been in healthcare. 
Um, and and okay. we've been in that space for about 12 years now. Um, it started with um, the use of GPUs for rendering, so that first vertical I described within our platform. Uh, so when you looked at an ultrasound machine and the first time you saw that 3D image of a baby, um, there was a GPU behind that or a graphic processor unit. Um, the next time you got into a CT scanner and the scan was much faster, you were exposed to 80% less radiation than usual. That was because GPUs enabled the um, instrument manufacturers to innovate with algorithms such as iterative reconstruction, which reduced the need for X-ray and still got you the same quality image. Um, and that happened a while ago. And then obviously now with deep learning, there's a lot of use cases. And I think if you combine the use cases in, in, in medical from um, uh, instruments and medical imaging reconstruction to visualization to AI right now, Clara was the platform to help bring all of these technologies as easily as possible to the developers so they can take advantage of them. And, and we did this by introducing two toolkits. Um, we announced the last one just uh, recently. So one toolkit was targeted at the uh, creation of AI to make it easier to build and manage and deploy AI. And the other one was targeted at instruments in order to enable them with GPU technology for uh, faster reconstruction, for better visualization, and obviously to bring AI. Okay. So tell me about Clara. Why, why the focus on improving the imaging? Is it because uh, NVIDIA is really robust in the visual representation using, you know, their graphics cards of, of games, and now this is going to translate over to medical imaging and improve the resolution of, of features that you'd image, or is it something else? No, absolutely. I think that the, the power of the graphics processor is in its parallel processing, right? So if you think about gaming and why we did really well in gaming, it's because if we're playing a game really, really fast, you don't want us to be calculating each pixel on your screen um, in series. You'd want all of these pixels to be calculated at the same time very quickly. So by design, the graphics processor underneath um, is a parallel processor. Um, and it turns out that a lot of the, the use cases within uh, the medical imaging world can actually benefit from this parallelism. So that was sort of a natural progression of using the hardware that we have um, in medical imaging. And it was apparent in the use cases that came out of deep learning first. So a lot of them were focused on radiology and medical imaging. So what, what are some of the specific applications where NVIDIA has you know, improved the resolution of a particular uh, imaging? Is it in x-rays? Is it in CT, MRI? Or is it across the board? And, you know, are there any things that have come from the improvement of the imaging? Are you, are you at that stage yet where this is actually deployed in medicine? Oh, yeah, for sure. So it's really very difficult today to come across a CT scanner, for example, that does not include a GPU in it. In fact, multiple. Um, same applies on the ultrasound. Um, it's uh, been... Uh, you know, uh, revolutionized with GPUs, I would say, by moving into software-defined beamforming, um, MR-enabling compressed sensing techniques uh, for faster scanning, um, um, X-ray uses it, mammographic uh, um, imaging uses it. Um, so it's across really the medical imaging industry. Uh, there is very high adoption. And now with AI, the adoption is even increasing. So you'll see FDA-approved algorithms such as um, ACE from Canon, for example, that improved reconstruction for higher quality imaging. 
Um, you'll see algorithms from uh, GE for AI, uh, for using AI for hemorrhage detection, so you can prioritize a work list out of a scanner. Uh, you'll see examples from Siemens, for example, where they're automatically uh, measuring anatomy uh, and producing an automatic report um, using AI, which has GPUs behind it. So are there any particular images that um, you know, you've seen or NVIDIA has put forth as an example of the uh you know, the before and after, or the non-NVIDIA, the non-Clara, Clara-coupled uh, technology showing improved resolution? Yeah, so it's sometimes about the resolution, right? And you will see images like this, and some of the most beautiful images you'll see are um, on cinematic rendering, actually, where it really almost feels that even though you're not inside the body and you're using X-ray to look into the body, um, you it's as if you're looking at it for real, and um, Siemens is one of the leaders in that space. But I think what GPU computing brings a little bit more than graphics. I think one of the verticals is graphics and higher resolution imaging, and, and you will see that. I think what we also bring that's really powerful is scientific computing. So the fact that instead of actually um, acquiring more and more data, so if you think about taking a picture with your phone, um, in the past you really needed to have this amazing lens, this massive camera, and this crazy technique in order to get a beautiful photograph of um, anything you're trying to photograph, that tree or cherry blossom. I just came back from Japan. Um, but if you look at the images we're getting with our cell phones today, they're getting really, really close, even though we don't have that hardware and the equipment that we had on the previous images, SLR you know, cameras. And those are still beautiful, but you're able to almost get very similar images using just your cell phone. And that is possible because we moved the burden of creating the really amazing images from being on the hardware and the specific lenses and all of this stuff into a software problem. So given the data that I can get from the sensor, the camera, or from the X-ray machine, can I actually produce more amazing images? And, and that happens to be where GPUs are really, really good. Um, so when I talked about moving from, you know, getting the... The, the same CT quality image using 80% less X-ray dosage. That is because we moved the problem from being a hardware problem to becoming software. And now software, we can innovate much faster. So the instrument becomes software defined, just like your phone. Every other day, you're getting much better images out of the phone, even though you're not really upgrading the hardware. And that's the capability that Clara brings. So GPUs enable you to do this software defined uh, development and innovation, and GPUs make it possible inside of the instrument. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, if you can reduce the radiation someone would experience from a CT, for instance, by up to 80%, I mean, that's tremendous. Um, that would take away a lot of the fear of having to get CTs, you know, in a short period of time if you have an unfortunate condition. Um, yeah, and, and you still get better imagery. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. It's a huge result. That's true. And, and what's really cool is... Uh, you know, this is being done obviously by our instrument partners utilizing our uh, platform, uh, developer platform. Another great example is MR. So MR is this amazing modality that, that you could look inside of the brain, inside of the body, and diagnose a lot of disease early. And it does not have um, the, the, you don't have to worry about the, you know, X-ray exposure while doing it. The problem with, with MR is it takes a very long time and you have to hold your breath, it's challenging for young kids, it's challenging for um, elderly folks. So you can imagine AI coming through, um, and we're already seeing examples of this, 
where we can actually shrink the exam time uh, significantly. So it becomes a useful modality for more and more people, um, which is something I'm really excited about. How long is the exam time typically where you have to lay there and you know hold your breath multiple times or not move? So it depends. It could range from anywhere 10 minutes, 15 minutes, all the way up to an hour, depending on the exam that you're taking. But if you're able to shrink this exam you know, by half, that would be phenomenal, which is some of the results that we've seen um, from some of the really great startups we're working with. Is this just for uh, MRI or is this also for CT or PET scans? CT tends to be fast anyway. So I think the, the focus on the CT side has been on dosage reduction. The focus on the MR side has been on reducing the time it takes to get scanned. Yeah, I mean, I've had some of these scans, and it's uh, very difficult to lay there and not move for, you know, 30, 40 minutes, and it's it's really hard. So all these improvements will make it a much better experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the, the potential of, of getting better images is something that we, we, we all want to have. Also, the, the ability to analyze these images more automatically is something that I think AI opens up, which we're really excited about. Yeah, also, too, with reduced uh, time to do, uh, you know, an MRI, you have, uh, you can cycle it more, you know, if it's at a given clinic and it's being able to be used uh, eight times a day. If it could be used 12 times a day, uh, mm -hmm. the clinic will get a lot more use out of it and they'll benefit more as well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We need higher efficiency. And it, it's especially true when you think of, you know, uh, we tend to be in a, in a, great area where we have access to scanners and stuff. But if you look at, at third world countries and developing countries where these scanners are not as available, um, they're typically run 24 seven um, as opposed to the 12 hours a day that we run them here in the United States, there is a massive opportunity um, on a um, global scale. Well, this is enough, but uh, are there any other benefits that, uh, that you're shooting for? You said you mentioned the interpretation of the scans. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that's improving and changing or becoming more automated? Yeah, absolutely. I think that AI has the potential of um, obviously improving the imaging like we talked, but in, in assisting the radiologist and the, and the uh, technologist in getting higher quality images and getting more information out of the images, I think it's also shown a ton of promise. So one of the things that, that radiologists and technologists have to do often is uh, quickly uh, triage the, the list of studies that they have to look at, for example, and then decide which ones they're going to start with. Um, now, that's a task that, that AI, for example, could help with, uh, prioritizing the list. So if a patient comes in and we think that they have a brain hemorrhage, they're, you know, they're bleeding in their head, you'd want to have the radiologist be alerted to read this study first. So these are some of the use cases we're seeing. Once you've, you've kind of optimized the work list for the radiologist, AI has the promise of also calculating things on their behalf. So extracting information out of the images really quickly, uh, where, for example, you could, if, if somebody has, um, um, is doing a cardiac study, perhaps you can have the computer look at the cardiac study and automatically calculate the ejection fraction, which is the percentage of blood uh, pumped by the heart um, on each cycle. So these are things that, that take time from the radiologist or the technologist and 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 they really don't need to be doing them. We can actually teach a computer to do them. Uh, so we're certainly excited about that use case as well. I guess you could also do an initial filtering where the uh, the AI looks at all the images and only if certain uh, features show up that should be passed on to a radiologist, you know, for final clarification. That may help as well. 
you know, a grading or a sorting, and that may make the radiologists work a lot faster too. It's a massive use case, I think. Um, if if you're able, if you think about this, right, the, the, the radiologists on average have about two seconds per image in yeah. order to diagnose disease, uh, which is a really, really short time. They they're work really hard um, trying to help the patients around. And if we're able to have them look at the cases that are more difficult earlier in the day or as soon as they come, the quality of the work would go up for both the physician and the patient. So an example is Ohio State University. So Dr. Luciano Pofredello and uh, Dr. Rick White and the team over there produced an algorithm that can detect uh, stroke, hemorrhage, most critical diseases for the head. Um, and using um, um, Clara, basically, they were able to deploy it into their workflow immediately. So now every study coming through to Ohio State University gets processed. And the ones which they believe have um, a high likelihood of a brain injury or a critical case for the brain will go up to the top of the list for the Ohio State University radiologist study. So these use cases are make a lot of sense. The yeah, they do. they do. Yeah, the challenging part, Richard, is and, and where, where we're really focused is recognizing that there's going to be a lot of these algorithms, right? So use cases, obviously, which improve the workflow, use cases which improve quality, use cases which reduce cost or increase access, all of them, uh, there's going to be a lot of them. But we, in fact, if you did just simple math, there is something like 10 modalities being, you know, X-ray, CT, MR. There is probably 10 organ systems between, you know, cardiovascular and musculoskeletal and brain. Within each one of these 10 organ systems, there is, um, you know, 10 organs or so. Within each one of these organs, there's 10 diseases that you can diagnose. So you're looking at something on the order of maybe thousands, if not tens of thousands of algorithms that need to be created, that can be created and can benefit the patients, can benefit the hospitals, and can benefit um, uh, the system overall. So the doctors and the system overall, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you create thousands and thousands of algorithms? How do you enable physicians to get involved in the process is a challenge that, that we're thinking about as well. Recognizing that an algorithm that's developed in, in one hospital may not work actually at a different hospital. So we had mm -hmm. an example of this where um, an algorithm was created at MGH and um, the algorithm was basically used to study how healthy your heart is. So it was done on a cardiac CTA, and it was measuring the thickness of the wall of the left ventricle. So it's a, it's a useful measure for how healthy your heart is. The algorithm was able to measure the thickness of the heart at over 96% accuracy at MGH. And then oh. as part of our pilot, we decided to take that algorithm and move it to Ohio State University. When we moved it to Ohio State University, the algorithm of that of that the accuracy of that algorithm dropped to something like 87%. When we analyzed a little bit, we realized that the patient population at Ohio State University had higher prevalence of high blood pressure than the population at um, MGH. So as a result, their, their, the thickness of the wall, of the, of the left ventricle of the wall, was actually more at Ohio State University, and the algorithm did not see that at MGH. So when it saw it for the first time at Ohio State University, it didn't know what to do with it. However, you Why? Think it, it, because it's new. I mean, the, the bottom line is 
the algorithms in deep learning, they learn from examples. They learn by seeing things. You show them examples and they learn from those. When they see something new, they don't know how to extrapolate really well, right? The thing is, and, and a best example of this is self-driving, right? So if you think about a car that is trained to, you know, to drive phenomenally, right? If I showed it to you, hey, would you be willing to get into this car? In general, most people, about 60, 70% will say, yes, I'd like to try the self-driving car. However, if I asked you, how would you go about it if you knew that this car was trained to drive in the UK? Well, so w when you deployed this in the new hospital, uh, did you run through a training set or you, you know, did, did you feel like, oh, you don't need to do that. Let's just put it in production. No. So the, the typical path is usually you try to put it in production. But I think what we learned is when you bring it to a new hospital, you actually need to do a little bit of retraining. It's called transfer learning. So what we asked Dr. Richard White to do is, would you actually annotate a few of these high blood pressure examples? And they did. And with a, you know, a fraction of the number of cases that were used to originally train that, that network. So when you, when you did this and maybe 10% um, of the cases were re-annotated at Ohio State University, we were actually able to retrain the, the algorithm and bring it back to the 96% accuracy that was at MGH. So what we learned from this is you, there is a huge need for localization of the algorithm. Right. And if you if we followed sort of the idea of the self-driving car, which was trained in the UK, that car would be very dangerous in the US, even though it knows how to really drive, it would drive on the wrong side of the street. So, mm -hmm. however, with minor retraining, it still knows how to drive. With minor retraining, you can train it that, hey, you need to start driving on the right side of the street, which is exactly what we need to do with medical imaging. Um, so we need to provide, I think, what Clara AI provided, and, and we announced a little while ago, is the ability to... Um, bring AI to the annotation process so you can create data sets locally quickly. The ability to train locally, once you have a large algorithm uh, created somewhere else, you, you're able to adapt it for your own patients and your own practice. And then the ability to deploy it quickly in the hospital. So these were three functionalities that we bring with Cloud AI. Well, um, once you bring it from hospital A to hospital B and you retrain it a little bit and you run it, have you tried going back to hospital A with it? you know, with the new retrained version, and would that not work? You know, does, this, uh, does the algorithm literally have to go into each setting, retrained, and then it stays there? And then, uh, you know, I guess another way to ask it is, do you get any benefit from having the algorithm be used in multiple settings and then integrating all of that learning into one master algorithm? Or is that yeah. not how it works? Oh, absolutely. I think we're also working on techniques. That's called federated learning in general, where the idea is, let me get as much data from different centers, different populations, different scanners, and use all of this data collectively to create new algorithms. So that's something that's really successful. We're working with King's College London on right now um, and a bunch of other universities. Yes, there is a benefit, absolutely. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, we're getting close to the end of the time. What's, what's the near-term future of the technology over the next year or two? What milestones are you guys looking to achieve? I think if the... The most important thing in my mind is to recognize that, you know, everybody sees the promise of AI and medical imaging, where we're able, you know, a world with AI is so much better than a world without AI because we're more efficient or we're reducing costs, we're increasing quality, reducing error rate, making, you know, physicians and their expertise available to everybody around the world, um, especially in areas which don't have access to such knowledge. I think what's important to recognize is 
radiologists need to be involved. So um, at the end of it, what AI is doing is it's translating somebody's knowledge into an application that others can use. And one of our biggest goals is to enable radiologists to create as much of the AI as possible, which is why we created the Clara platform, um, you know, enabling them to annotate much faster within their own workflow, enabling them to um, bring algorithms from other institutions and localize them within the hospital while maintaining their data inside of the hospital, enabling them to deploy really quickly. And I think with if we can keep going down that path, um, we can imagine a flourishing ecosystem of AI development. So we partnered with the American College of Radiology um, just last Monday. We announced our partnership. We've been working together for over a year. In order to bring this technology through um, um, their member network to every hospital. So I, I really look forward to making this technology as robust as possible and making it available to all of our partners from physicians to the vendor community to the startup community um, to keep AI going. Okay. Well, very good. Abdul, so what's the best way for, for people to find out more about uh, NVIDIA in general and then the Clara technology platform? Um, Head to NVIDIA.com and um, look at the Clara platform and their platforms. Very good. Okay. Well, Abdul, thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, just like the technology yourself, I think you made it very clear and understandable to, uh, to see what it's doing. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Richard, for your time. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues where we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.